Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Cross the Campus. I'm Alex. My name is Jacob. And today we are joined by Sue Powers, the director of the Institute for a Sustainable Environment. We talked about how Clarkson can be more environmentally conscious as well as the Institute. What do you think about it? Uh, I think it was a very powerful discussion about the future of the environment, not only on campus, but abroad. Uh, we talked about things from the general improvement of energy systems to an anaerobic digester on campus for processing food waste. Yeah, I know I'm definitely going to be a lot more environmentally conscious after this one. Yeah, it, it really put things in perspective for how much uh, you know, carbon emissions we all put out on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I loved the message that uh, Sue uh, brought out and shared with us, and really excited for you guys to hear this one. Yeah, Dr. Powers is extremely knowledgeable, so so get ready. All right, well, you heard it here. This is the Ignite Podcast. Hello and welcome, Susan, Dr. Susan Powers. Um, we are so happy to have you on today. Um, Susan Powers is the director of the Institute for Sustainable Environment, and we're super excited for her to tell us all about that um, and tell you guys, the listeners, um, everything that's a part of that and uh, how that came to be. So can you tell us a little bit about the Institute of Sustainable Environment, what it's all about, and the mission of it? Sure. The Institute for Sustainable Environment is uh, a, a unique uh, academic unit on campus uh, we have degree programs, undergraduate and graduate degrees. We have a few faculty, but mostly rather than being another sort of silo like the departments and schools, we work in a cross-cutting cross way across all of campus. So we have faculty affiliated with the Institute for Sustainable Environment uh, from almost all departments. Um, certainly all schools are represented. And our mission is really to be a hub to sort of be the center to help coordinate and help support any sustainability or environmentally-related uh, research, educational programs, uh, campus initiatives. Uh, that We provide some uh, expertise and some coordination and sometimes some financial support to help that uh, happen in a way that it's beneficial to our faculty, staff, and students. I know some friends that are currently working, uh, I think, for the Institute, but uh, what sort of projects are you guys working on right now? We have a huge number of projects, probably more than we should. And so we have sort of academic projects, right, yeah, making sure that our undergraduate and graduate degree students are taken care of. They're all doing uh, capstone projects or research projects, so they're you know, the activities of our own students happening. Uh, I've got an example of a graduate student who's working on food waste management for the village and town of Potsdam. We have uh, undergraduate students working on doing an iTree inventory of all of our woods on campus. So the undergraduate, we have an undergraduate student working with a farm in Fort Covington to see if we could make that a field station, an agricultural and environmental field station. So our students are all over the place. But we also work a lot with students and faculty and staff from across the rest of campus. So in addition to our own students, we work on other things. Um, a few examples, we've worked with the, um, the chief financial officer or CFO and our investment firm. So now we have... 
um, an investment firm who really truly believes in investments for environmental, social, and governance uh, criteria. So that's you know a, a big move forward. We work with grounds, for example, we're trying to promote uh, low and no mow zones around campus to promote biodiversity and not the monoculture that lawns, you know, the lawns take a lot of gasoline to mow, a lot of uh, time to mow and provide almost zero habitat. So we're trying to improve the habitat on campus. Definitely. Uh, the anaerobic digester is back up and running. Uh, this is a, a treatment center for our food waste on campus. The food waste goes into the anaerobic digester, so Professor Stefan Grimberg is the lead on this. And he, uh, or the system, uh, breaks down the food waste and creates biogas, which is 60 to 70% methane, that they then they combust in inline heaters to heat their own needs. Awesome. Um, so our food waste is going to a good purpose. So there's all sorts of projects like that. Um, and then I've got two big projects uh, that we're working on. Um, I just want to mention Alex French, who's the Assistant Director for Sustainability. He helps a lot of these projects, especially the solid waste-related projects and the grounds-related projects he takes charge of. I work more on the education side and our climate and energy projects. So on the energy side, we have a pretty aggressive goal to get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2025. Wow. We've made some huge strides on that. Right now, 100% of our electricity that we use on campus comes from renewable resources. That's uh, maybe 10 to 12% solar, and the rest is local hydro, both wow. from the Racket River and from uh, some from the St. Lawrence River, the big Robert Moses power dam there. Uh, so that's huge. I had absolutely Our, no idea. I had no idea that we were 100% renewable right now. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It was a big splash when it happened. You were probably a student here when it happened, uh, January 2020, I think was the start of that. But then, you know, it doesn't make the news when it's not new exactly. anymore. So it's hard to – so this is a good opportunity to remind people of that accomplishment. But we still have to heat our buildings, and I'm sure you want hot water for your showers. That's a bigger challenge. So we use natural gas for all of our heating and hot water needs. And we're working right now to try to solve that problem. So that's our biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions at the moment. So that's a really big issue. And then the other really big project that we're working on, uh, it just was put forward before the Board of Trustees when they were here a couple weeks ago on campus, part of our strategic framework and moving forward towards a strategic plan. And that is using the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Uh, there are 17 of them, everything from you know, zero hunger to clean energy, uh, that really help to define the breadth of sustainability from social, environmental, and economic perspectives. And our goal is that everybody and everything we do on campus, you think about, you know, what SDG is this related to? And so, for example, our climate action plan, uh, there are two SG SDGs. One is related to affordable and clean energy, and one is climate action. So I would say... That project is related to those two SDGs, 
And when we think about the actions that we take, we think about how do they fit into the sort of concept and the overall goals of these SDGs. And to me, it's a way of thinking about sustainability and everything we do on campus more so than just, you know, we do actions, right? We recycle something, but, but why are you doing that? And what the, the, the thinking part that hopefully that using the SDGs as a framework that's common across everybody, right? So that you won't miss it, right? You'll know about it, but it's a, a way to, to think big about how we do things on campus, whether it's in your classes, your you know Ignite activities, how the endowment is invested, um, what, what, we, what do we do with our food waste and our solid waste, all of that will be um, considered in light of the SDGs. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about clean energy, uh, what I think, or what a lot of people might think is solar or um, like hydro, but there's a lot more broader forms of clean energy that I think a lot of people don't know um, about, and I don't think I know about personally, <laughs> uh, especially nuclear power. Um, it's not necessarily zero waste, but it is clean energy as far as CO2 emissions go, if I'm, not, if I'm correct. Uh, that's, that's correct. And right now, I do a lot of climate change education, so I think about these questions a lot. Um, we need to... Uh, let me step back a little bit. If we want you and your kids to have a stable climate that is livable comfortably, you know, socially, economically, ecosystems are thriving into the future for the rest of this century, we need to limit the increase in temperature to 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius. And there's a big meeting next week, a climate convention that will be discussing that. In order to meet that climate, we need to greatly reduce the amount of carbon dioxide we put into the atmosphere starting now. We're already a couple decades out. And we need to hit what we call net zero by 2050. So just like Clarkson's goal to hit net zero by 2025, the whole world needs to be on board by that and not too much distant future. Those are huge changes. And so energy sector is really big. Agriculture and forestry are important too, but the energy sector is the biggest one. And so to do that, we need to do what's called decarbonize. That means really greatly reduce our uh, fossil fuels. Right now, globally, fossil fuels make up 80% of the energy resources we need. We need to dive that down to 20% by 2050. So that means we need to grow a lot of other and so solar and wind are the obvious renewables. Uh, nuclear is uh, contentious in some circles. I have come around to say we want to preserve the nuclear power that we have. Um, we need it. Uh, it's hard to build a, build a reliable electric grid on just solar and wind, right? You need a lot of batteries to take care of the differences between when solar and wind actually make power versus when we actually use power. And you need to match that on a pretty minute-by-minute basis uh, throughout the day. Uh, you can't, uh, and that's where battery storage comes in. But at the same time, we want batteries for our electric vehicles. So if we put all our batteries into the electric grid, then it's hard to do both with the amount of lithium that we have. So we need big advances 
But nuclear power provides what we call the base load. You know, it's just a constant. It's always there. Uh, and it really helps a lot to have, by having that base load, it helps with the reliability of our electric grid system. And we just heard in China a week ago, right? There are brownouts and blackouts because mm -hmm. their grid was not being reliable. And it's really hard to have a thriving economy and society if your electric grid is not up to snuff. So I think uh, nuclear power is important. You know, ideally, we'll come up with better nuclear power or fusion. You know, mm. who knows? <laughs> We've been saying that for 50 years. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, fi 15 down years the down the line. Yeah, I, yeah the exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, it's probably, who knows? Maybe, maybe it will happen. Um, but I do, and it takes a really long time to... Uh, develop and get new nuclear power commissioned. Especially the commercial. It's like a decade, and and we don't have a decade to wait. And so the the longer we can, you know, keep our present nuclear power, and it, it does have zero carbon dioxide emissions at the point of power com, com, uh, generation. There are some greenhouse gas emissions associated with mining and all the other, you know, fuel processing, but. That goes for lithium as well, though. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, almost anything we do, right? Somewhere along its production, you have to use energy. And it doesn't – you have to use energy, right, yeah. in some form in order to, to generate energy or to transform it into a form that's useful to us, like electricity. Uh, but we want those things that are the least energy input for the energy output, useful energy output is what we look for. Uh, and, you know, there are concerns about the long-term storage of nuclear fuel. But when you look at the overall risks of climate change and not meeting that sort of stable but different, still it's a changed climate at 1.5 to 2 degrees C. We still have to be prepared for big changes. They won't be quite as catastrophic as if we don't meet that target. Uh, that's a global problem. Uh, nuclear wastes and dealing with nuclear fuel, even if you have a, you know, like another Chernobyl or Fukushima disaster, that's a local problem. And so it's easier to deal with local problems than the, the risk of a global change in our climate. Exactly. What are the, uh, some of the mo more uh, interesting and uh, cool innovations that you're most excited about when it comes to renewable energy? I think it's the overall system. You know, definitely when you think about sustainability, you have to think about the overall system. And uh, solar and wind right now are really inexpensive. Um, and I, I think New York State in particular has very aggressive goals to increase renewable energy like that, including offshore wind, uh, to supply most of the power needed in New York State by solar and wind. But we have to balance that with improved transmission and storage so that we can still have a reliable grid. So looking at that whole system and coupled in that system is how we use energy. And so some of the, you know, we, we really have to look at the societal willingness to change the, the non-technical side of the solutions uh, for 
climate change and clean energy. Especially big gas companies, very much against it, obviously. Yeah, yeah coal, and I won't get into the politics of what I right. just read in the New York Times about 10 minutes ago, you know, and uh, what's happening in the United States right now uh, with, you know, national-level climate policies. It's, uh, it's frustrating. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, you were talking about like a, a more advanced grid. Like I, I believe you're uh, suggesting a smart grid. Of some uh, kind. A smart grid. So a smart grid is one that also really has the the sensors and the controls and the immediate feedback, uh, so that like if there too too many people are using electricity at the same time compared to our being able to supply that amount of electricity, other things get shut off. So a smart. Uh, grid has um, that sort of sensor and control and, you know, artificial intelligence type work. And it's really important to do that. But we also just need more basic upgrades, like what's happening um, uh, Canton to Utica right now, and that is basically bigger pipes, right? We need, uh, we're generating a lot of renewable energy in the North Country between big wind farms and the Robert Moses Power Dam, but that electricity has to get downstate. Uh, and there are some really big bottlenecks uh, getting towards, and not surprising, New York City, right? So we generate it, they consume it, which is a, a little bit of a, a justice issue there. But um, you know, we get paid for the electricity that's generated here. So, you know, basically it's like just, you know, it's electrons, right? Not water, but it's bigger pipes. The capacity to move more electricity to where you are consuming it. So that's not smart in the same fashion. It's just a upgraded, more reliable transmission system. The other aspects, uh, battery storage and pumped hydro storage, uh, just to make sure we have the capacity to, again, like on the minute-by-minute, minute, match our supply of electricity in the, the grid to what people are demanding. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I know speaking about all the recent innovations that Clarkson had um, currently in the past, is that the reason why we've achieved the AASHE uh, STARS Gold Sustainability um, rating? What is that exactly? I'm not okay. entirely sure. <laughs> so so AASHE, we pronounce ASHE, which is a little <laughs> easier than... Ash, I pronounced it, it ASHE when I first yeah. read it. <laughs> well, but two, two vowels make right, it a, right, long, right, yeah. a long sound. So ASHE stars. So ASHE is the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. And STARS stands for the Sustainable Tracking and Rating System. Uh, it's a system, uh, some people compare it to like LEED for buildings. You might be familiar, like the Student Center's LEED Silver Rating. And so there are all sorts of metrics. It's built for universities by university people, so it's really relevant to us. Uh, it's like LEED, there's all bunch of metrics and credits, and you, you, you know, put in your, your numbers. It's a huge amount of data input. Uh, everything that we do on campus related to sustainability, and you get points. And then you add up all those points, and then you get a rating. And so the last two times we submitted this, we have to do it every three years, we got the gold rating. Nice. Yes. The uh, first time we did it, we got silver, 
And President Collins' only comment is, that's good, next time get gold. <laughs> so that, that's his level of goal, right, is the really high up. And then it's Alex and I have to figure out how to actually accomplish that with the help of a lot of people on campus. So this rating happens every three years, so it's actually due again in February. So we're working now on pulling together all the information we have. And this is, again, sustainability from a very broad perspective. It includes diversity. It includes our endowment. includes how well we pay our employees. So all those social factors are built in as, long, as well as, like, our education. Um, you know, how many students get uh, sustainability as a part of their learning objectives for their degree? And how many classes? And what's the diversity of departments that offer classes that have some sustainability content? And how many departments are doing research related to sustainability? So we have to pull in all that stuff um, together. And our strength is really in our education and research. Uh, we just have a lot of departments that offer a lot of classes that have something to do with sustainability. They don't have to be like, focused on sustainability, but they have some homework or case study or something that is related. You do teach like a senior design uh, capstone, right? Yeah, and that one certainly counts for almost every semester for years, you know, and we design a lot of things on campus. So presently it's our cold climate greenhouse. So having those sorts of projects, that's our campus living lab where we actually build and operate and students are part of the infrastructure and working with staff people. Uh, we're working a lot with Jim Eames right now, who's uh, taking care of our heating problems in the greenhouse. So it's you actually get to work with with staff people on that. So it's a real, real job. Uh, but the, yeah, our education and research is our strength. In this case, I think uh, since the last one, the fact that we have 100% renewable electricity, that will help us a lot. Um, and, you know, our uh, upgraded anaerobic digester and, you know, diversion of more food waste will help. Although the data that we'll have is probably like a year old, so that um, will be a, a little bit behind. But all of these initiatives that we do on campus definitely help us keep our gold rating. Uh, the next level up is platinum. I think it'll be a few more three-year time periods before we're ready for that. But maybe after 2025, when we hit net zero greenhouse gas emissions, that'll give us a really mm -hmm. big boost with the, um, with the STARS rating. And I also think our initiative that we're just getting started on now with the sustainable development goals across everything we do on campus, if we do that well, which I'm going to work very hard at making sure we do it well, you know, that, that'll be a really big push and evidence of uh, changing the culture and making sure everybody gets it and everybody is involved. I know I would be definitely inspired by that. Um, but how were you first inspired uh, to even go about uh, this, like, to go about this feat of sustainability and wanting to work towards a more uh, environmentally conscious uh, world? Uh, Was there a moment of just, like, pure inspiration that you had? Well, I don't, it wasn't a moment, but I would go all the way back to my high school environmental science classes. I had two full years of environmental science, and it was 
life-changing for me. Uh, and we did project-based learning there, so that was also my inspiration. Uh, I love I did that in high uh, school. The, to, yeah. to doing projects, learn by doing projects. And so I try to teach a lot, like the design classes, right? You learn by doing projects. To me, is much better than lecturing and handing out exams and having to grade exams. I 100% agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, me so, too. So those classes really um, converted me uh, to f following that pursuit. Uh, and I set me on the path to be an environmental engineer, you know, all since high school. So I haven't veered very far. The topics, like, we knew nothing about climate change at, at that point, decades ago. Um, you know, I've been to the world of hazardous waste management and uh, biofuels for ethanol and your gasoline and uh, you know, food waste is a brand new topic. You know, climate change education is, you know, been at it for a decade plus, but fairly new. So, uh, you know, it's just staying abreast of what I consider the, you know, what are the really wicked problems that we need to work at and, and work at it and help students learn about how, regardless of their discipline, you know, we need all disciplines to work on this what they can do to help address some of these wicked challenges that we're faced with. Um, what, what emerging technology do you think will uh, affect environmental engineering the most in the next coming years? Uh, emerging technology. I don't know. We've got a lot going on at Clarkson that's been really great. Our low-temperature low plasma treatment for PFAS, you know, that's a great example of uh, emerging technology. You know, I think a lot of it is just um, that the whole thinking about the circular economy, and that means there are no wastes, right? So, uh, and we've got some projects going on on campus right now that, um, so for example, nutrients in our wastewater, right? It's a um, it's from everything you eat and what you eliminate from your bodies, there's a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus. Well, nitrogen and phosphorus takes a lot of energy to make nitrogen, like for fertilizer. And phosphorus is just a limiting element. There's only so many P atoms on the the planet. And and we, the wastewater treatment plant spends oodles of, of energy and time to take these out and basically throw them away. And so a circular economy says, well, that waste is really a valuable product. It's just like the food waste and the anaerobic digester, right? So rather than looking at materials as waste, we look at them as a valuable product and we figure out how to recover them for reuse. And so that's not a singular technology, maybe. Um, so maybe I'm not quite answering your question. But it's a way of thinking uh, and so that we are not you know, tr treating, like end-of-the-pipe treatment, right? You just treat it and you dispose of it. We need to utilize to re it. recover. Yes, utilize it. Make There's valuable stuff in there. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Exactly. <laughs> and if you went into a landfill and started to try to mine, I mean, imagine how much things like aluminum, right, and iron and, you know, really valuable stuff that is in a landfill. Aluminum, especially, is extremely energy intensive to Exactly. Refine. It is the most, in, you know, when it comes from recycling standpoint, uh, recycling your aluminum cans and aluminum foil is the most important from both an energy and a raw materials, you know, you don't need to 
mine more bauxite out of Australia if we just, and, and most of our aluminum cans are made out of alu, uh, recycled aluminum. I know the tabs in cans, the tabs of the cans have a higher percentage of aluminum in them than the actual can themselves. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, they have to be a little more dense to, like, pop open the actual. Stiff. Yeah, yeah, a little more stiff. My f- We collect all of them at home um, for no particular reason, <laughs> but yeah. we do. <laughs> and but hopefully recycle them. Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. it's hard, though, in recycling. So we use the Casella Zero Sort. Um, so we put all our recyclables into one container, and they have this, like, Rube Goldberg machine that takes them all back apart, right? So you've got magnets and lasers and blowing air and uh it can't handle little stuff so like those so if you leave them on the can it's best because then it's still attached to the can but they their machinery they just sort of falls through the cracks so they don't want little stuff which is a shame because there's probably an awful lot of aluminum and all those those flip top things yeah definitely um, so talking about more of student wise perspective, so how could students get more involved and how could they get, uh, or how can they be more environmentally conscious at Clarkson, uh, especially in their homes, like the apartments and even dorms too? Uh, so, uh, the first thing I'd say is get involved. Uh, we do have a very active sustainability club. Uh, they do they do projects on campus. They don't just you know get together and talk. They they actually do stuff, and so that's a great way to find out what's going on, and you know being a part of some of these campus projects. Uh, there's also like minors, regardless of your major. Like we have sustainable energy systems minor and environmental science minor, so you can do a minor, and then that would be a way to. Um, so transform any discipline into something that has a little bit of an environmental problem and solution focus. And in the dormitories, you know, I think uh, some things that I see on campus, one is just, just walk, walk or bike. Right? I see people driving from one building to the other on campus, and it's like our campus is really small. When you think about big campuses, we don't, we don't need to drive. Some people need to, uh, but, but most of us can walk. And so... Don't get in your car uh, to drive across campus. Um, uh, think about what you eat and what you're throwing out uh, in the residence halls. Uh, there's a big difference in the environmental impact based on your diet. With the more meat that you eat, the, the bigger impact. And the more plant-based food that you eat, the less impact. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean everybody has to be a vegetarian, but there's a whole continuum yeah. in there of just living on meat versus being a vegan and, you know, just moving a little bit towards a more plant-based diet can really make a big difference. Yeah, I started uh, I started that uh, transition slowly. So I, I stopped eating beef like uh, like two or three years ago. So And, and beef is the there. biggest, yeah. at least beef grown in a factory beef, mm-hmm. right? Not in your farmer neighbor's fields. And that kind of beef is maybe good to eat, but... Uh, the factory beef, which is mostly what you get through our food services. Right. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it is the, the biggest uh, greenhouse gas emitter. And nutrients, is, uh, not just greenhouse gases, but there's a lot of issues with, with using uh, or eating beef. Um, and I think just, like, be a little more conservative and turn things off. It's amazing. And I mean off, off, like at the power strip or the plug, not just, you know, at the, the button on your TV. Uh, I, I just and th that's where not just students, but I you know walk past classrooms and the computers are all lit up and the projectors on and nobody's in the classroom. Right? Right. That's inefficient. If if it's on and nobody's using it, it's inefficient use. So I think all of those sorts of things. You know, like do I need so many appliances? Do I need you know a mini fridge if I live in an apartment? You know, just all those sorts of things. If we could just unplug a few more things i think it would be uh, a great benefit yeah i think one of the biggest problems that i see people kind of being wary of getting into an environmental uh co environmentally conscious field is that there's not a lot of monetary incentives for them especially young entrepreneurs and things like that uh or current entrepreneurs and people who run businesses uh, what opportunities do you think that limit them to making those environmentally uh, conscious decisions? Like when I'm looking at a business or I have a current business model that's working for me, but yeah, I could be in more environmentally conscious, but it's the cost of doing that is kind of outweighing um, the benefits that I'm reaping. So it all depends upon how you define the benefits that you are reaping, right? Is it dollars in your particular pocket or is it the health and safety of your community? So if you think a little broader about the costs, uh, you know, the, the, and it's not just dollars, right? So um, it, do you, are you contributing to a thriving community, right? Mm. Are you uh, polluting their air, Right, and then have some, you know, soften some, uh, but both BIPOC and you know low income people live in communities where there's a lot of air pollution. Right, so if you're contributing to the air pollution and environmental justice problem, it's not just dollars in your pocket. So I think uh, it, it depends upon what you value, and so putting a price on it. Uh, it is hard because it's hard to quantify some of those costs. But sometimes it's like even just uh, without greenwashing, but by being able to promote your uh, low pollution, energy efficient technologies, uh, that that's really beneficial from a, a PR perspective. And the bottom line, I think a lot of this is that if if you need to pollute or to waste energy or materials, it means you're not being efficient with the materials and the products that you purchased, even human labor, right? And efficiency is huge in sustainability. So if you think it costs more to not be environmental friendly, you're sometimes not thinking about if I could just be more efficient, right? What would it take to be more efficient to use like 98% of the materials that I bought for this production facility instead of 91% of the materials and, you know, throw out the rest. 
makes a huge difference on your bottom line, financially, as well as environmentally. And so I think people have an era when they they say, you know, it's, it costs a lot to be environmentally friendly. Well, in reality, it costs a lot to not be efficient because you're buying stuff and throwing it out. And But by increasing your efficiency goes a huge way in reducing your environmental impact and your social impact. And that's why we are using like these 17 sustainable development goals to make people remember that it's not just about the dollars, right? It's not just about pollution into water and the ecosystem. It's also about your neighbors and your thriving community and the social impacts as well. And sometimes dollars are not the right units to evaluate all of those things. That was beautifully put. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> that, was very, that was very good. You know, and I see on campus, you know, when I talk to students in the Ignite or the, the Cube, I am always impressed. with. It's almost like, I don't know, 9 out of 10 of the students in a group, whatever their system is, it already has some, like, product reuse, you know, use of waste materials like cloth, for example, students who just graduated, right? What a great project they have. Oh, I love it. Taking recyclable, you know, glass, it's too dirty to actually recyclable. So it has no value and making it into a high-value material that has low-carbon benefits, high-quality cement. It just It's a great example of what you can do uh, to be very environmentally friendly, but also in, in every perspective, you know, they check all those boxes. Uh, for our listeners unfamiliar with CLAW, could you go into exactly what they're doing? Yeah, so CLAW is K-L-A-W. Uh, it was three students, including two uh, students who graduated in the spring of 2021. They, um, so our zero-sort recycling, right? You put it all into the same bin. It goes to this Rube Goldberg machine I mentioned earlier. Well, the glass gets broken. And so often the glass is in tiny pieces and maybe you threw away your yogurt cup that's got a little bit of yogurt in it, so it gets dirty from you know any food scraps and the water and the dirt, and so you've got this pile of broken, dirty glass. You, they, they don't want that for recycling; they only want really clean glass. So if you return your bottles, like for the five cent returnable, they like that glass because it's clean. But what goes through zero sorts not clean, and so. You thought you were recycling it, right? You did your part. You put it in the blue recycle bin, but then it goes into a pile, and nobody wants to buy it. So now Claw is buying that, or they're being given it sort of at this point because there's no purpose for it. And they're uh, processing to make it into a substitute for cement. Cement is one of the active ingredients in concrete. Yeah, it's cement and water and sand and stone, and that's how you make your concrete so this is a substitute for cement and it's really valuable because the other way to make cement is you take limestone the rock it's calcium carbonate caco3 you process it under really high temperatures and you drive off the carbon dioxide so you're putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere from the chemical reaction of the limestone plus all the energy you had to put into it so you get cao calcium oxide that's what cement is. 
So it's a very energy-intensive uh, greenhouse gas-emitting process to create the cement that we usually use. So now we have an alternative to that that's made from dirty recycled glass that has no other value. Hmm, very interesting. So it's a uh, – and they've done wonderfully with their um, – build the, uh, what do you call it, business competitions and startup money, and uh, I, I hope they make it. You know, it's hard for startups to make it, uh, but I think there's a great opportunity for what what they're doing. I mean, it sounds like they have a, a low-cost low uh, solution to cement. Exactly. Their raw materials are basically free. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're using garbage. Exactly. Well. They're exactly. Yeah, sure And that's back to that great. circular economy. Remember when you asked me about, you know, what technologies, that's not just for environmental engineers, it's like for anybody. Mm-hmm. But thinking about that circular economy is so valuable for, um, you know, the future. Because yeah, not only is that environmentally friendly, it's like, capitalist friendly as well exactly and that's back to that question about you know it costs more to to be environmentally friendly the answer to that is false in many many regards yeah let's let's do it i think more businesses and i think more prospective entrepreneurs looking to not only start a business but to do something that is going to better like the community as a whole definitely getting into that circular community or circular economy um that sounds like a win-win for everybody exactly and those students had a built-in job right they graduated (laughs) into their own be their own employers yep that's got to be a great feeling for them too yeah like that's really making it (laughs) yeah all right well you heard it here her first folks um you know turn off your lights be more conservative and one man's trash is another man's treasure thank you guys for listening we appreciate your time and we'll see you next time thank you goodbye